0: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: right there there.
0: wide belly up
1: this is the game it's a cat and mouse smoked a turkey yes He is down. He is freaking down. Said he shot an absolute giant. Fall Obsession, baby. Hey
2: everybody, welcome back to another Fall Obsession podcast episode. If you've been listening to our podcast, you know I'm Sam Thrash with Fall Obsession. I'll be your host for this week's episode. And we have a special guest joining us this week. Um, He is a wildlife photographer professionally, and that is Mr. Lance Kruger. Lance, welcome to Fall Obsession podcast, man.
1: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, we're, we're very glad that you uh, you decided to take some time out of your day and uh, and join us and share some of your story and, and what you do. I appreciate it.
1: All right. You're welcome.
2: So guys, before we get into our episode, as always, um, we'll kick things off by mentioning that this podcast is brought to you guys by our friends over at Elite Archery. Um, we're very grateful to our partnership with them over there. Um, they've uh, put some quality equipment in our hands this year. If you guys have not shot an Elite bow, I encourage you guys to go do so. I'm running The Cure this year. It is uh, is a really awesome piece of equipment. Um, So if you haven't shot, go to your local dealer, shoot an elite bow, take the elite shootability challenge, and uh, check them out online as well at EliteArchery.com. So Lance, to kind of kick things off and get things rolling for us, um, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about what you do in the photography world with the wildlife photography um, and where they can find you online.
1: Well um, I'm, uh, I've been shooting photos uh, since 1985 since I was 16. I'm 51 years old now so I've been you know shooting photos for 35 years in total and uh, started shooting photos on a rancher in South Texas. I'm from South Texas, born and raised in Texas and uh, been uh, shooting you know photos ever since then. Uh, it's my only real job that I've ever really had, I guess you could say straight out of college. that's what I did. But I've been shooting photos, Uh, sold my first photo at 19 years old, sold uh, or started going uh, part-time professional at 21 and at 24 when I graduated from college. I have been doing uh, full-time photography, uh, photographing for the National Hunting Magazines uh, since then. So um, I primarily, you know, sell to the National Hunting Magazines. I don't really do the state magazines anymore like I did early on in my career and you know sell to field and stream outdoor life Peterson's bow hunting uh bug masters you know pretty much all the big national magazines so um anyway i travel around the united states uh photographing deer mostly outside of texas actually uh, most of the magazines i sell to on the national side of things don't want cactus and mesquite trees in the background they want <laughs> hardwoods and fall colors and snow and stuff like that which We have none of that here in south texas it's just you know cactus and thorn brush and stuff like that so uh anyway i do a lot of traveling to the midwest and eastern united states south canada out west and uh, my wife and i homeschool our four children so that they can come along with me uh, on my photo shoots and so the whole family gets to go and and uh they get to sit in the blinds with me and they've been with me when i've shot many covers of uh, magazines and we have lots of memories because of that they get to stay in hunting camps all over the united states get to do things that uh, they don't get to do here in texas like see bald eagles and ride snowmobiles and see fall colors and you know get to enjoy the small town usa uh, that uh, we don't have down here in south texas you know because i live right on the mexican border only eight miles from mexico and mcallen texas so it's uh, it's a big job just to get out of texas it's at least a 12-hour drive north to get out of Texas, and then, you know, to most of the places I go, it's another 12 hours to get to the Midwest. So half the trips here in Texas.
2: Wow, I uh, I didn't realize that you lived uh, live so far south. And like you said, a lot of a lot of the photos and everything that we've seen online from you and everything are are of those mis- midwestern states and and different environments. So. Um, that, that's, that's crazy and really cool that you're able to, to travel around and see so many different places and your family can do it with you. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. You know, it, it's, uh, I kinda, because I, you know, have progressed, you know, I started out shooting, you know, down here in South Texas. My dad managed a 2,800 acre ranch down here in South Texas. And, and, uh, that's when I got my first camera when I was 16 and had, you know, some really cool photo opportunities down here. And I, you know, shot for, you know, the first part of my career in Texas. But one of the magazine editors of a national magazine that I was starting to sell to told me, you know, hey, Lance, I love your photos. You do incredible work. But the only problem is, is all you're doing is Texas deer photos. And so you're going to pigeonhole yourself as a Texas deer photographer. And he said, we only run the same percentage of photos that is our demographics. And he said, only 5% of our readers are from Texas. So he said, if you want a bigger piece of the pie, you need to go where it's generic hardwoods habitat, you know, where there's, you know, actual seasons and that kind of thing. And, uh, so I started, you know, traveling the day after I graduated from, uh, from college, uh, I I graduated in December and flew out on assignment for that guy's magazine, actually out to Montana to photograph mule deer. And, um, you know, I've been traveling ever since, but, uh, I, I hardly photograph in Texas anymore. I do some stuff down here, like, you know, rear grand, uh, subspecies turkeys. And I do bass fishing, uh, do a little bit of Texas whitetail stuff because I, you know, there still is that 5% of the pie that, you know, magazines do run some Texas photos. Right. But, um, I was always trying to hide the fact that it was Texas. You know, I was putting, trying to get deer up on skylines, get them away from the cactus and the brush. Uh, but up North I can photograph in any direction and it, looks beautiful you know everywhere you look um so um anyway so that's uh that's uh why i travel and uh because that's the market that i'm going after is the big national magazines and have been doing that for you know now for 20 27 years you know full-time traveling wow
2: that that is that is outstanding what a so and and this may this i know you kind of dabbled into it just a little bit just now but what was the big drive to get into photography?
1: Well, um, as a kid, I, you know, my, my dad was, uh, you know, was a gunsmith and, and, uh, we hunted and fished every weekend somewhere, uh, or camped. And we were subscribed to several of the, you know, hunting magazines and getting those, you know, magazines as a kid, I'd read the articles. I just loved to read. And I just, just absorbed every, I mean, would read cover to cover every issue. And, um, I, I was really loving, you know, wanting to get into hunting, but the problem is down here in Texas that everything is high-dollar hunting. You know, so many of the private ranches, you know, you've got to pay so much money, and we didn't have the money to, you know, pay for those places. Right. Um, so I thought, well, you know what? I, I'd love to just shoot photos like what I see in the magazines, even though I had no intention of ever, you know, selling to the magazines. I just wanted to shoot the photos just for myself. And uh, like what, you know, what the, you know, magazine photos look like in the magazines. And so um, my dad actually bought a camera when I was probably 12 years old. It's a Canon AE1 with a couple of lenses. But he was concerned that, you know, we were, he was going to, you know, I was going to drop it or something like that. You know, he didn't have the money to replace it. So he never would let me touch it. And so I kind of got ticked off and, you know, told myself, well, one day I'm going to buy my own camera. And, you know, I'm going to take my own photos. And so when I was 16, I had my First uh, summer job. I'd mowed yards since I was 10 years old. and uh, But uh, anyway, when I was 16, I, I was uh, cleaning tables at a Luby's restaurant here in Texas and, and uh, did that for a summer. And uh, got together $300 and bought a $150 Canon AE1 program camera and a 100 to 300 millimeter zoom lens for another 150 bucks, and uh, didn't know how to run it or anything and just started shooting photos out at the ranch that my dad was managing and uh, the first photo i took was of a big record book black buck antelope that was on the ranch shot photos of bonnie bucks and they had rhinos on this ranch uh they had you know white-tailed deer but you know uh, i photographed my bird dog my quail dog but the thing that struck me the most that i wanted to photograph more than anything was white-tailed deer and white tail bucks were the thing that i had this passion for and so i concentrated on on them on on that ranch and other ranches that you know i found out about in the area and uh started here in texas and you know shot when i could i it was back in the the slide film days and manual focus days when you know you had to you know get a shoot a roll of slide film and then it took you a week to get it developed and i was just a kid at the time still in school still in high school and uh you know i was mowing yards and i was able to afford one roll of film a week. And then the next week I was able to afford the, uh, the processing of it. And so I would do that every other week. I'd buy a roll of film and then process it the next week, go out and shoot it. And a lot of times my mom would drive me out to different ranches. You know, uh, sometimes I would just ride around on the outside of the ranch, shooting through the fences and stuff like that, you know? So, uh, anyway, that's kind of where it started. Just wanting to shoot photos, like, uh, what I saw in the magazines and, kind of uh, a challenge I put to myself by saying, well, I'm going to get my own camera one day, you know, kind of defiantly to my dad. Cause I was ticked off because he didn't, you know, let me borrow the family camera. And <laughs> uh, so anyway, so it just kind of started from there. And, and uh, then people started looking at my photos and they were like, man, these are as good as what I see in the magazines. You ought to sell them to the magazines. So at 19, I sold my first photo to uh, Texas hunters directory. I think it was. And uh, in that magazine, one of my heroes at the time uh, that i really looked up to was a photographer from alice texas called jerry smith who was one of the top photographers for field and stream and outdoor life many years ago and back in the 80s and uh, he had one photo in that issue and i got six in that issue so that was the first time i ever sending photos in to anybody so i was pretty excited about that and then uh, it just kind of went from there and i started selling more photos and by the time i was 21 I was still in college. I, I had to pay for college myself because my parents didn't have the money to send me. So I was working at a camera store at the time um, and doing my photography on the side. And basically I, you know, paid for my own college all the way through. And uh, so at 21, I, I went uh, what I consider part time professional and uh, quit my job at the photo store. So basically I was full time photography but at 24, when I was, you know, got out of college, uh, I was on the seven year plan to get out of college because uh, my parents, you know, weren't paying for it. So I had to, you know, save up money during the summer and pay for school in advance. So uh, I was doing it all on my own and with my photography. So at 24, that's when I graduated. And that's when I consider, you know, myself a hundred percent, you know, doing photography, uh, even though I was really doing it since I was 21. But, you know, I was going to college also at the same time. So hundred percent photography since uh, 24 and you know, I've been doing that, tw- you know, 27 years, uh, full time and have never had another job. So that's all I've done.
2: That's awesome to be able to do something that, that you love and that you obviously have such a passion for and, uh, right. for, for such a long period of time. That is, that's incredible.
1: Yep. Yeah. It was, it was something I loved doing before I made it a business and it kind of turned into a business, uh, without me really wanting to do that. Cause I actually thought I was actually, uh, Considering, seriously considering, my number one thing I thought I would do uh in college was I wanted to get a wildlife biology degree specializing in white-tailed deer. Um and I really thought that I was gonna be a wildlife biologist on a ranch, you know, working working with white-tailed deer. But I fell in love with photography and you know, decided, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna go after this photography thing and see if it works out. So it's uh it's done well and so I never had to had to change since.
2: That's awesome. So scrolling through through your page and all seeing all the photos and everything um there's there's a lot of photo or uh, there's several photos that i've observed at least that are um i don't know to me uh who would definitely be considered a novice photographer um, would be more of a it'd be a hard shot and these these deer are moving these animals are are moving traveling um so I, i guess i i lead into this question with that um saying what are some of, the, some of the biggest challenges that you experience with wildlife and whitetail photography?
1: Well, the, the thing that's probably the toughest part is that deer typically don't like to come out when it's, you know, the best photography situations, uh, the best photography conditions. Because deer, especially, you know, big deer that I try to concentrate on and, and uh, go to places that have big deer on them, those deer typically are nocturnal, uh, which are basically unphotographable, at least for the magazines and what I'm trying to do with them. But they're usually, you know, if they come out at all, they're coming out right at dark, um, you know, at dusk, after the sunset, or before sunrise, uh, when it's like right on the edge of when I'm able to get anything of them. So that's probably the, t- the toughest part of what I do is trying to photograph animals that You know, photographically, you need sunlight and you need all these, you know, perfect conditions to get a beautiful photograph. But so much of the time, they don't want to come out when I want them out there. So I would say that the technicality of photography is getting easier. But back when I started out, I was shooting, you know, films that were like 64 ISO. That was what I started out with and 25 ISO. And now I'm shooting, you know, digital cameras where I'm shooting a minimum of 400 ISO, 800, 1600, 3200 ISO. So I'm able to shoot today um, in much lower light than I used to be able to. Uh, used to be when I shot slide film, when the sun went behind the trees or over the horizon, I was pretty much done. And I can't tell you how many awesome things I saw at dusk and at dawn. Um incredible fights you know just all kinds of stuff and it seemed like it always happened after after the Sun went behind the the horizon but now I can shoot for about you know 15 20 minutes 30 minutes after the Sun goes down um, before it's too dark to photograph um, so I'm you know I'm it's much easier nowadays than it used to be uh, but I'd say probably that you know interaction of deer not wanting to come out in bright conditions and photographically you kind of need them to do that so that's probably the toughest part i would say gotcha
2: well you you do a very good job of it <laughs> if, if i might say so um from what we've seen and like i said we've been following you for a while and and it's been really impressive to watch for sure
1: well thank you appreciate that
2: so this is f- photography in general as as we've already discussed it it is it is obviously a, a passion and a love of yours can you boil it down to any particular thing that you love the most out of, out of all of it? Or is, is it just, is it just all good?
1: Um, you mean, are you asking like, uh, what kind of species or are you talking about just the challenges of, of it?
2: Uh, yeah. Just the, just the challenges of, of it and, and the, the entire process if, if there's a part that really just, uh, really you'd enjoy more than anything else.
1: Well, I would say probably trying to figure out, you know, big deer, um, trying to pattern them early in the season, trying to figure out where they are, um, where I have the best chance of trying to photograph them or sitting over a food source and it, they're coming out too late and you can't get any photos of them because it's you know, like right at dark when they're coming out. And so trying to figure out, okay, where did that buck, where is he going before he gets here? And trying to you know figure that out between his daytime bedding and the food source where I can maybe intercept him earlier in the evening before it gets quite so dark even though that may be five minutes or ten minutes earlier uh that can make a big difference for photos uh and the quality of photos that you can get because of the slow shutter speeds you have to shoot at when it's so dark or the high isos uh, which makes the photo real grainy and you know just doesn't look good so figuring deer out um and putting my head you know together with the The landowner or the guides on the ranch or you know whoever you know has access to the property um trying to figure that deer out finding out you know when they see him, that kind of thing uh throughout the day or using trail cameras trying to figure things out and let those go you know 24 hours a day um so just figuring out deer is you know the thing that i i love i mean it's it's the challenge it's the hardest part of it but it's a challenge and then when i actually get that deer you know and good enough photography like conditions that i'm able to successfully photograph him that's that's super exciting and then to get him on the cover of a national magazine is just the ultimate high when when that all comes together because there's so much work involved in getting every one of these photos and then getting it published that a magazine thinks is better than any of the other photographers that they you know that send photos into them uh that that's the number one photo that they picked of possibly tens of thousands of photos from 20 to 30 of my competitors. Uh, that's just, that's just the ultimate high to me.
2: Absolutely. That, that is awesome. So you're talking about kind of having to, having to learn the deer to, to pattern the deer. And then you also have the, the element of you're going to other States, other places to, to photograph these deer. How much time do you typically spend uh, on one property or in one area?
1: Well, um, I used to spend, you know, as long as, you know, two weeks on a property trying to figure things out, but because I travel so many different places and the problem is, is, you know, when I used to have fewer locations and fewer properties to go to earlier on in my career, I would spend longer in, you know, on a particular property cause I didn't have as many options. But now after, you know, 25, 30 years of going all over the United States Um, you know finding out about a great property and each of those land I'll ask each of those landowners hey you know do you know of any other good places that you know they have big deer and they'll tell me about a couple of places or one place or whatever and I'll go to each of those two or three places and then they'll tell me about two or three places well after this much time uh, basically I quit going to the properties that aren't as good um, and only go to the very very best places and so I go to the, the best parts of the United States that have the biggest deer like the Midwest and, you know, within the Midwest, I'll go to the best big buck States, you know, those States along the Mississippi river, you know, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, you know, these places like that, that are, you know, just known as big deer States. And then I go to the best counties in those States and then the best properties within those States. And so I'm able to now have so many properties that I just whittle it down to the very, very best properties. And so a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you get so many good photos? You know, and they see my Instagram and they think every day that I'm posting what I'm shooting, but what they're seeing is what I've, you know, shot basically, you know, over the last, you know, 20 years, you know, they're not seeing what I shoot on a daily basis. And so, you know, people think, man, you're on big deer every day. Well, no, there's a lot of times that I'll go two weeks without getting a without shooting a single frame of film. Uh, But there's other days that I'll go and I'll shoot you know, 5,000 photos in a morning where everything finally comes together. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you got to spend a lot of time out there. The more I I have a saying that I like to use that, you know, a lot of people, uh, uh, agree with that, you know, kill big deer is with photography. It's the same thing. It's time in the field. The more time you're out there, the more times you're going to get lucky, the more times that something's going to happen in front of you. Um, the more opportunity or chances are that that big, big deer may walk out when the light's good, you know, he's with a hot doe or whatever the situation is. And, uh, you're going to get quote lucky, but you know, people don't see all the days of when I get nothing. Cause there's obviously nothing to share on Instagram or Facebook. You're not going to post a photo of nothingness. So you've got to have something to share. And they're only seeing the great days. And I figure for in my experience, for every one great place that I go to, I go to 12 places that I scout out that are not good, that are not, you know, not a great place. I'll have maybe one great place out of 12 and a couple that may be good but not great. And I also figure that about for every one good photo I get, I see about 12 things happen that I don't get to photograph that the light's not right or whatever the situation is, or it's the wrong side of the blind or whatever the case is, or it happens before I can get the camera moved over. Um, so for every great photo you see on Instagram, there's probably a a dozen different things that I've seen that I didn't get to photograph or the conditions weren't right or the photo was blurry or whatever that never make it to Instagram. So it's about a one, one to 12 ratio.
2: Wow. That's a, That's crazy
1: <laughs> yeah
2: a lot of, a lot a lot of work put in for sure so when uh, when you're going to these places and you're scouting out properties is it are, are you are you literally knocking on doors or do you have I assume by now you probably have contacts in states that you can frequently go to at, at least on a year-to-year basis I, I, and I may be completely wrong, but um, you, you seem to have it uh, pretty worked out at this point in your career.
1: Yeah. After this much time, you really, you know, have things kind of down as to, you know, how to do it. Um, I, you know, since I've been doing, uh, you know, social media the last uh, few years, I, I get almost every day, you know, contacted by people telling me, Hey, you ought to go to this place. You know, they've got big deer on it or, or, uh, you you gotta come to our land. You know, I've got some, you know, big deer or a great place to photograph turkeys or whatever, but typically, you know, how I do it is like I said before, is every place that I go to that's good is I ask that landowner, you know, do you know of anybody else that has, you know, any deer like what you've got or turkeys or whatever the situation is? And some some people don't know of any other places. They're they're like the only ones they know of. But other others will tell me, yeah, I know it's, you know, Joe, Joe Black or whoever, you know, on the other side of the county. He's got some, you know, big deer at his place, and there's another place over here, you know, a couple miles down the road. You got to go call them, and here's their phone number. And so I've done a lot of phone calls, uh, getting a hold of people. Um, you know, I, I, you know, if I see a big deer on the side of the road as I'm driving from one place to the other, uh, I'll go knock on farmers' doors just like anybody else does. And, and you know, I've been told no a whole lot, and I've probably been told no more times than I'm told yes. But those few times that people say yes and let me photograph on their place and I give them prints of their deer and they get to see their deer on the covers of a magazine. That's, you know, that's the times that it pays off, but there's, there's places that I dream of going to uh, that I still haven't gained access to. Some some places I've talked to the landowner, uh, one place in Wisconsin, I talked to the landowner for 14 years, called him every year asking him, Hey, is there any way I can come on? No, no, we're, we don't let photographers on, you know, not a you know, none of that kind of stuff, you know? So, And then finally, after 14 years, finally, they were at the place where they're like, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. You've called us every year. You know, quit bothering us. We'll let you come on and we'll give it a try. (laughs) And then I've been photographing there for 10 years now. So uh, anyway, usually when I'm given a chance, uh, most landowners really like me and like what I do, how I help them out. And, um, you know, it kind of goes from there. So it's, you know, there's no one formula of how I get the places I photograph. It's people I already go to their places they tell me about places to go um, it's me hearing about a place you know I'm just very inquisitive and I'll you know try to find a deer any you know a big deer any way I can so and sometimes it's you know nowadays it's a little easier because they kind of fall in my lap because people will tell me you know hey you know there's this big deer at this so-and-so place and You know, that that's actually been happening, you know, this fall as falls coming along. People are, you know, sending me messages on DM, you know, on Instagram almost daily. So uh, I've just got to kind of, you know, I I tell them a lot of times, well, you know, convince me how good your place is by sending me photos of your deer. And so I got people blowing up my DMs, you know, sending me pictures, of trail cam photos and dead deer photos and stuff they've shot in the past, live deer photos that they've got videos and whatever. So uh, anyway, that's kind of, kind of how it's going. And, you know, today, but uh, that, that doesn't happen, you know, at the beginning of your career, you know, you're, you it's one of those things where, you know, I've been doing it so long and have a good reputation in the business and good reputation among landowners, good reputation among the magazines and the editors. And so people are starting to, you know, come to me now. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things that that helps. Uh, but it's not going to happen at the beginning of your of your career, you
2: know. Oh yeah, yeah. You've you've put in the you've put in the work on on the front end and busted your butt early on, and, and now you're now it's later on. You you got the benefits of that, you know. Like you said, a, rep, right. a reputation that, that's with you. So awesome. right,
1: and so the problem I have now is I've got more places to go than I've got time to go to. And, um, so, you know, my, my problem is, you know, finding the amount of, you know, hours I've got during a deer season to try to spend enough time at each of my best places. And I've got a lot of really, you know, you know, my best places, you know, that are really awesome, but there's others that, you know, it's just trying to find the time to, to get to them. And, you know, you got to kind of line up a trip, you know, so that you're not going to Ohio, then you go to Kansas, then you go back to New York, and then you go to you know, Minnesota, and then back down to Mississippi, you know, you got to kind of line things up, but, you know, a lot of the places I go to are uh, hunted properties, and so I've got to line up with, you know, them having hunters in, and stuff like that, I typically don't like to go to places when they've got hunters, I just don't want to be in the way, or anything like that, and, you know, some places are like, oh, our property's big enough, we can put you on the other side of the ranch, and stuff like that, so, uh, anyway, it's just uh, where you got to kind of lay out the the plan and try to figure out your trips and you know try to try to make it happen you know so anyways it uh it comes into play you know it uh falls into place most of the time but you know sometimes you go to a place and you don't get anything you know but that's part of it you know i i don't go out every day and photograph big deer a lot of times i'm just sitting there and just looking at the pretty countryside and that's all there is to look at
2: <laughs> nothing wrong with that either though
1: <laughs> no that's true that's true it just doesn't sell anything to the magazines because i'm not a landscape photographer so yeah uh, i don't sell to the landscape magazines so anyway uh looking at a cornfield or or harvested cornfield or a soybean field and you're just looking at it you can only shoot so many photos of that and i've never sold any of those <laughs> without a deer in it <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> so um and this would be more for our listeners who are into photography, who are interested in, in photographing wildlife. Um, I, I, I cannot speak for myself as much as, as I'm not very familiar with, with all the terminology, if you will, in the photography world, me personally, but what kind of camera and gear do you typically utilize, um, to take your photos?
1: Um, I use Canon, uh, cameras. I started out with a Canon, from day one, uh, first Canon I bought was a Canon AE-1 program, manual focus camera, film camera. But now I'm shooting all digital cameras. I made the change from film to digital in 2007, and I was one of the last holdouts for that. And I probably should have started earlier. But I, I was really studying things. And when the editors started saying they're accepting, you know, at one point it was 100% slides. And then uh, they were saying, well, we run about 10% digital now. And then it moved to 25%. When it got to 50-50, where they were saying, well, we're using about half digital and half slides, that's when I told myself, you know what, I need to make the change. Because by the time I change to digital, they're not going to be using slides anymore. So in 2007, I made that switch and uh, started having my first digital covers the next fall in 2008. Uh, But I shoot Canon cameras, uh, all digital cameras. I'm still using SLRs. Uh, I'm looking forward to the mirrorless cameras uh, that Canon has coming out and, uh, you know, where they don't make any sound, which is one of the problems with uh, digital SLRs is the shutter and the mirror makes so much noise that it, you know, spooks deer like crazy. And I'm doing most of my photos from, you know, uh, 50 yards or less. Most of my photos are 20 to 30 yards away, uh, pretty much bow hunting range. And so um, I'm I'm constantly having deer spook, you know, like first frame, they're turning inside out running the other way uh so i'm really looking forward to the canon r5 that's coming out um that you know is like super backlogged on orders and all that kind of stuff i've got my order in but um anyway i'm waiting for that thing to arrive but um i use can you know the white canon glass uh, canon lenses that you see on the sides of football games and that kind of thing sidelines of baseball games um i use a canon 500 millimeter f4 lens uh, that's the aperture. And then I use a 300 millimeter 2.8 lens, which is uh, a little bit faster lens that can take in a little bit more light than the F4 lens, the 500. But basically a lot of people have misconceptions of what or, or of how much you can magnify that, that deer from a distance. And with my 500 millimeter lens, that lens uh, is like a 10X binocular, or 10X rifle scope, 10X, you know, like yeah, a 10X spotting scope, nobody even hardly uses that most people use like a 20 20x you know uh spotting scope right well i use basically a 10x spotting scope on my you know camera the same magnification my 300 millimeter lens is like a 6x rifle scope which is you know a lot of people use like three to nines and they're cranked up to nine power all the time so i have to be close to the deer a lot of people see these big lenses. And they think, oh, man, you must be able to photograph that deer at a thousand yards away and, you know, see the see the gnats on his eyelash. And it's like, uh, no, I've got to have them 50 yards or less because those lenses are big because they gather a lot of light. But uh, the magnification isn't a whole lot. So you've got to be really close to them um, to be able to get these photos. And so that's why I use blinds so much, round blinds, because I want to be on eye level with the deer because if, if I'm up in a tree stand looking down on them, you lose their legs and it makes them look smaller than they really are. And the magazines want them, you know, the cover of the you know, of the magazine to look like that deer is king of the mountain. They want him to look like the Hartford elk or something like that. And so they, they want you to be on eye level or even below them because you can be below a buck and it makes him look bigger than, you know, in body and everything than he really is. So I'm usually sitting in a chair at the highest. I very seldom shoot deer standing up. I'm either sitting in a chair in a blind or sitting on my rear end up against a tree. And, you know, sometimes I'm even laying on my belly trying to get an even lower perspective. So uh, anyway, but I shoot Canon camera wise. I shoot uh, uh, primarily a Canon 5D Mark IV because that camera with the hunted deer that I photograph a lot has the quietest shutter. It has a, a silent, continuous advance on it which is still noisy compared to a mirrorless camera that has absolutely no noise whatsoever with the electronic shutter, but it's the quietest camera out there that I found. And then for speed type situations, if I'm photographing at a national park or a state park or something where the deer are used to people, they're not afraid of, of, uh, you know, the noise of cameras and stuff. Like, you know, if, if I go to like Yellowstone national park, or Cades cove in Tennessee where the deer aren't hunted, they're used to people. They're used to, you know, people taking pictures of them. They, they're not affected by the sound of the camera shutter. I'll use like a 1DX or 1DX Mark II, uh, which is like a speed-type, sports-type camera. And uh, it's it sounds like a freight train going off, like a sewing machine or something. <laughs> and uh, But that, I only use that when the deer aren't affected by it. Uh, as far as lenses go, I use, like I said, the 500F4 lens and the 300 28 are my primary two lenses that I use to photograph back and forth. The 500 I use when the light's a little better because it's an F4 aperture and it doesn't uh have as much light getting into the sensor the 2.8 aperture of the 300 doesn't have as much magnification but it's got more light gathering capability and i use those lenses back and forth if a deer's closer i'll use the 300 if he's further away i'll use the 500 if there's enough light uh then the next lens down from there that i use is the 70 to 200 millimeter f 2.8 which is has good light gathering capability the same as the 300 uh, but it's more for wider, wider angle shots when I want the deer small in the frame uh, or they're real close. I want to show some of the background behind them uh, or have like a landscape photo with the you know, deer small in the frame. Uh, but that's the only zoom lens I use. A lot of people kind of throw around the uh, terminology, you know, zoom the deer in. Well, my 500 is a fixed lens. It doesn't zoom at all. It's a fixed 500 millimeter lens. The 300 I use is a fixed 300 the 70 to 200 is a zoom and basically zoom does not mean to bring something in. It just means it's variable where you can vary it between, you know, two different ends of a spectrum on focal length. You know, you have 70 millimeter, you can zoom it in a little bit more to hundred millimeter to 150 out to 200. So that's zoom. So anyway, so I can't zoom in my 500. It's just fixed 500. It's like a fixed rifle scope. That's a six X rifle scope. It's not like a three to nine, variable scope, that's considered like a zoom lens. That's the terminology they use with photography as zoom. But uh, I use primarily fixed prime lenses, which have their advantages. They tend to be sharper than zoom lenses, but the zoom lenses nowadays are getting so good that, um, that those are actually an option. When I first got into this, you didn't want to use zoom lenses of any sort, but you know, they typically have more magnification for the weight and stuff like that. Uh, but the zoom lenses tend to, you know, be heavier and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, nowadays those are actually a viable, you know, option. Some of the newer zoom lenses nowadays.
2: Gotcha. Wow. That's a, uh, that's quite a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I tend to, tend to, tend to talk. So that's the short version of it, believe it or not.
2: No, that, <laughs> that, that, that's good. I, I hope you're not, uh, I hope you're not giving up too many secrets or anything. Uh,
1: no, not but... at all. I love to tell people what I do and, I don't have many secrets of any sort i'll help anybody out you know i'm i'm actually working on a youtube channel where i'm basically hopefully i'll have it out this fall hopefully by october where i've been shooting videos of me teaching people how to shoot deer photos and i'm going to teach people how to shoot anywhere from how to shoot beginner type photos all the way to the most advanced photos and even how to get published the only thing i'm not going to tell you is where i photograph uh, but i'll probably teach people how to find the kind of places I photograph and teach about landowner relations and you know, how to find places and stuff like that. But, uh, I'm pretty much an open book. Uh, some people really helped me out when I was early on in my photography, there was a friend of mine that was a bird photographer named Steve Benson down here in South Texas that helped me out a lot, but there were some other guys that would not help me out one bit. And I told myself, you know what, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be as helpful as I can to people. And, uh, teach them everything i know if i have something to give and so now that i've gotten to the place now where i'm one of the top deer photographers in the united states uh i want to use that platform to be able to educate and help other people out and so you know that's uh that's my plan to spill the beans and let everybody know all my secrets because there's really no secrets with me
2: well that, that's awesome and i myself would would be really looking forward to that youtube channel as well that that'd be a uh awesome to get to watch watch other people go through that journey and 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 see what they're learning from you um when when that comes out when you go live with that we'll be sure to to share it on our pages and everything because that that would that'd be awesome
1: well i appreciate that yeah i mean if uh the best way for anybody that's want to you know find out when that happens would be you know just to follow my pages my instagram and facebook pages and uh, i'll be announcing it on there
2: Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, that was, uh, that was another thing I was going to bring up kind of in regards to, to your Instagram, at least where we've been following you is, uh, I've really enjoyed, I've, I've seen in a lot of your posts where you'll, you'll post a photo, but it's not just the photo. You actually, you go into, into depth with, with information or, or tips or, uh, I know one that I saw. I, I don't know if I can't remember now if it was an older post that I came across or if it was more one of the more recent ones. But um, you were talking about um, nurturing relationships with the landowners and and taking care of a place, leaving it in better better condition than when you found it. Um, the, the same stuff that that hunters do basically. And I, I don't know, just just putting that in your in your photography post. You know, with with your photos, that I, I thought that was really cool that you're that you're sharing info and and just little tidbits of of stuff like that from from time to time, in in addition to your awesome photographs.
1: Right. Yeah, that's one of the things that you know. As my goal is to you know help educate people, you know that are interested in in what I do. Uh, but it's not just for for photographers. You know, I I I do do you know photos or uh, posts about you know photography tips. Um, but, you know, I also do a lot of tips on that are just general for whitetail deer, you know, how to, you know, control the situations with the wind control and, you know, scent control and, and, uh, how to, you know, get v- invisible and, you know, how to use camouflage, how to use blinds, uh, stuff that's good for anybody that's interested in deer, whether it's somebody watching them with binoculars or somebody that wants to photograph them or that somebody that's a hunter, it's, it's valuable information that I've gathered over the last 35 years of being out in the woods uh, and being around deer at a close place uh, and not shooting at the first deer that comes along. And so because I'm kind of invisible uh, in the situations I'm in and I'm in, you know, close proximity to these deer, I'm able to see things that hunters aren't able to, because I'm basically eye to eye with these deer at 25 yards away. And so I give, you know, hunting tips, I give photography tips, I give behavioral information about deer facts about deer Um, it's just I try to chock full every post with something that will be of value to the person that's looking at the photograph not just photograph because there's value in that there's beauty in that but there's also a lot of things that I know in my head that I don't want to take to my grave one day I want to you know share that with people and, and let them have a better opportunity in the outdoors better experiences in the outdoors better adventures uh, because of what I shared with them and and have more success than they would have had if they hadn't run across my page and hadn't taken the time to read those words. My wife's always telling me I write too much and you know, but it, it's I've found uh, over the last three years of you know posting on Instagram that the posts that I get the most comments and the most likes and the most response from are the long posts. When I just do you know like a title or something like that, you know if I' don't have anything to say, you know I'm tired that night or whatever whenever I post something. If I don't put much, it seems like I don't get much response. And so the long post, long form posts have really paid off for me. And it seems like people compliment me on my photography as much as they do the words that I write. So a lot of people are asking me to do a book. And, you know, I do calendars now and I, I have actually been doing calendars for the last two years because people have you know said, hey, we love your photos. What can we buy from you? And I tell them, well, I got prints. I don't really have anything else to sell because I'm pretty much more set up to sell to magazine editors, my photos to print, but I do have prints, but people are like, you know, what else do you have? You know, we, we love your prints. I got, you know, your, my house full of your, you know, your prints, my hunting lodge, whatever, what else can we buy from you? And I, I started doing a calendar a couple of years ago. And so I started implementing into that uh, the same basic information that I put on in, in my Instagram posts and put that below the photo and even add to it and give the exposure information and what camera equipment I was using in the calendar, which was something I implemented just this year and uh, for the 2020 calendars. But anyway, that's you know, something that you know, has come out of Instagram that I probably wouldn't have done if people hadn't asked for it so much. So, um, so anyway, so the information, it seems like people get as much out of that as they do the photos. And that makes me feel good. I used to write for the magazines a lot uh, earlier on in my career but I kind of quit doing that because to me it was like writing a college research paper. It was just a lot of work for me. It was hard for me to write, but I love to photograph. But now being able to put the two together is, has just been really a great combination because people seem to enjoy both.
2: Absolutely. And I could definitely say that, that we're some of those people too. It's uh, like I said, we've, we've been following you for, for a while now and it's been awesome to, to watch and learn at the same time. We've really enjoyed it.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. It means a lot, man.
2: Yes, sir. So, Lance, you're talking about um, you know being up up close and personal to these deer, and I know I know you kind of mentioned earlier that you like to you like to be at ground level or, or even just a little below them that you use ground blinds, um, and kind of tying that in with you know the response that you get from your informational posts and and people inquiring and stuff. Um, What do you have for for bow hunters who are looking for tips on hunting out of ground blinds, hunting from the ground, getting up close and personal with these big bucks?
1: Well, um, I think the first thing that a bow hunter would get out of it is to think, because I see a lot of guys going into their blinds wearing camo and opening all the windows up and that kind of thing. And um, I, I will tell anybody that is wanting to photograph out of ground blinds or observe deer out of ground blinds or bow hunting out of ground blinds is to do a couple of things first of all try to blend in not with the outside of the blind but blend in with the inside of the blind because you're basically trying to uh hide on the inside of the blind you're not like plastered to the outside of the blind with the camo material on the outside if you notice on the inside of a blind that's properly designed is that it has a black interior. And the reason they do that is to take away any shadows of your movement inside. But the closer you are to the windows, the more it's gonna light up um, you to the deer. And they're gonna be able to see your movement much better. And it, it happens even more the lighter in color or the contrastier your, uh, what you're wearing is is up to the up by the window and so what i do is i wear all black when i'm inside the blind i wear a black shirt if it's early in the season i'll wear a black long sleeve t-shirt black lightweight gloves i wear a black head net i wear a black ball cap everything i have is black and if it's got any writing on it i'll take a black sharpie marker and i'll cover it up uh, because i don't want to have anything even a little white spot Or somebody's name, you know, whatever, you know, bow company, you know, elite or whatever. I I will take a, a, you know, sharpie and black that out so that there's no contrast to that little light colored logo moving around inside the blind. Because deer will see that movement and they're like, what's that? Because that white will reflect the light coming in from the window much quicker and much further back in the blind than the black will. So totally black out. I've got black everything. I've got black fleeces. I've got black coats i've got black everything i and i carry multiple weights of gloves that are all black and uh you know i want them quiet also uh so i use a lot of fleece stuff but black blending in with the inside of the blind and then closing up the windows is the other super critical part of it because if you open up all the windows in all four directions two things are going to happen number one you're going to have all this light coming in and the deer are going to see you even if you're in black they're going to be seeing you because it's so bright inside the blind. Because what happens to a deer is when they're standing out there, their eyes will adjust for the outside of the blind. And then the inside of the blind, because you're much in a much more shadowed area, they can't see you inside, especially if you're in the shadows at the back of the blind, as far away from the window as you can get, you, and you're dressed in black, you'll basically disappear to them. You can move around and do all kinds of stuff inside the blind. That you would never get away with if you were just sitting out camoed by a tree so the further away you are from the window the less light that's going to come in or the less the smaller the the openings are or the fewer openings that you have the less light that's going to be getting in and lighting you up inside the blind and on the other hand you also don't want the deer to be able to silhouette you moving around inside the blind if you've got all four windows open in all four directions so I've got a philosophy, what I, what I call the L philosophy, and it's like you're looking at the blind from above. You never want to have anything more than an L shape of your windows open from where you're sitting at the point of the L. You don't want a T. You don't want an X. OK, X would be four windows open. A T would be three windows open. An L is only two windows open. And you only want it, it the ideal situation is like an I I guess you could say uh, like the letter I you only have one window open and a lot of times I will only have one window open and if I can possibly do it I will only open one window because you you have compared to four windows you have one-fourth the amount of light coming into that blind lighting you up if you got one window open if you open two windows up you've got twice the amount of light coming in or half the amount of light as four windows open so At most, I'll have two windows open, but they will always be in an L shape. If I have one window open directly to the front of me. At most, I will open a window either to my left or to my right, so that if a deer is looking in from the front, he will always have my black silhouette against the black back of the of the blind. Or if a deer is off to my right and I've got the right window open, he uh, uh, behind me to my left. He will see or he won't see me because i am dressed all in black and i'm up against a black background it's not like he's looking through from one window to the other where he's seeing my black silhouette moving with the brightness on the back side of the blind you know in the woods behind me so you never ever want to have all four windows open or three windows open because he will be able to see if you've got the window in front of you open and both windows to the right and left of you open he'll see you moving from either the left of you or the right of you because you're going to basically be silhouetted between the brightness on the outside of the blind that's going to be behind you through the, through the opposite window. So that would be the two most important things is closing as many windows as possible. And I'm, I'm a big believer in all or nothing because when I'm photographing, I know that there's one best background, the best lighting for this photo. And that's why I get the photos I get is because I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. And so a lot of times I only have one window open that will give me the best opportunity because I know that there's twice as much chance of getting busted, even in black, if I've got both windows open or two windows open because I have twice the amount of light in there. But I feel like that's the the most that I can give away to the deer, that if I have two windows open, I know there's a better chance of them seeing me, but it's nothing like if you have three or four windows open where they're certainly going to see you inside that blind so i try to do one window or at most two windows and that's in a 90 degree angle to whichever window is your main window you're looking out of sometimes i will put a, open a window off to my left let's say and i'll have another tripod and another camera facing off to the left and i'll shoot out that way if there's like two really good opportunities to try to photograph but if if at all possible i'll only shoot out of one window to darken things down inside and to not have that silhouetting effect if you have windows on opposite sides of the blind open
2: gotcha man that, that's good advice right there do you have Does that a, make sense. yeah absolutely no it makes right. it makes perfect sense i like the i like the explanation with the the l versus t and x that i've never heard that explained that way before so that that's very
1: very informative yeah well on my on my youtube i'm an, I, i'm doing a lot of videos on blinds specifically. Cause that's, you know, it seems like what people want to know in the comments on my photos on Instagram and Facebook is how I get the photos. I do, how I get deer so close to my blinds. And so I, I'm, I've shot a bunch of videos. Actually, it's taken me two years. I've shot two years of footage of um, you know, this, that I'm putting together and editing right now uh, that is going to be on the YouTube channel. And that's some of the things that I show visually on the YouTube channel is I take you in the field with me on places that I'm actually photographing deer and you're going to actually see photos that I've taken out of that blind. And I show you, you know, all this, you know, about windows being open and, you know, getting away from the, the front of the blind and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, so it's more, it's clear on, you know, what I'm able to show through the videos on YouTube, but uh, you know, I hope that helps, you know, people understand, you know, how I do things inside the blind and there's much more that I do. Uh, there's, you know, scent, you know, uh, control that I use, uh, that, you know, I could go into a whole nother segment on that. Uh, but there's things that I do because I do want to be able to have more movement in my cameras up at the front of the blind. Uh, so I don't have the opportunity bow hunters do by being able to get all the way back in the blind and get away from those windows and be able to shoot at a deer. I want to be up front to be able to follow action. Like if two bucks get in a fight or something, I want to be able to pan with them and be able to, you know, catch the action as they're moving around or chasing a doe or something like that. So, um, there's more that I go into on my videos, but that'll kind of give you an idea, uh, that's probably the most helpful for bow hunters that, you know, have a totally open window and, uh, can back it out, you know, away from the window, you know, back into the blind and, uh, you know, truly black out that way.
2: Gotcha. Do you have a particular brand of ground blind or, or make that you use?
1: Um, I use, I use a lot of, uh, I've used a lot of Ameristep brand blinds in the past, but, uh, the, my favorite blind that I've been using lately is, uh, the Primos, uh, double bulb blinds. That's probably my favorite because they're so big and roomy. Um, but I've also, when I'm, I'm trying to buy blinds, um, on a, you know, on a budget and try to have a bunch of them is, uh, some of these, uh, it's actually made by Baronet um and they're uh, like the doghouse style blinds and uh, they have a nice window because one of the problems i have with hub style blinds is basically where your camera lens is pointed out is kind of at the bottom of the hub right above the hub where the two rods are coming together uh that that's you know part of the hub assembly and so you don't have a lot of room to move left and right and so what i like about these uh, doghouse blinds is that they have a window that you kind of it looks like a a half C, like a half moon shape uh, that's laying on its side. The two points are down and you unzip it and you can kind of like close it up and make like a big wide slit that you can move around the camera left and right, you know, to have your lens uh, following deer and stuff. Um, That's why I like those blinds. The thing I hate about them is that they're made of really, really lightweight nylon material, like 200 D whatever nylon material, and they tend to not last very long. Uh, I, I usually figure, you know, a blind will last me maybe one season with those where a double bull blind with a heavy duty canvas that they use will last multiple seasons. Um, so that's one of the reasons I like them, not only the roominess, but they're just so rugged and, and tough.
2: Yeah. Well, good deal. Good advice for, for anybody looking for a blind too, right there. So,
1: yep, exactly.
2: Well, Lance, we're, uh, we're getting close to that time. So we'll, we'll start wrapping up. But uh, I really do appreciate you you taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast with us. Um, it's been awesome talking to you. But before we, uh, we wrap it up, we have to ask you what we call our rapid-fire questions that we ask to any newcomer or guest on our podcast. So, um, All right, I'm ready. Well, the first one, and I know we talked, I don't know if we actually mentioned it in the podcast itself. I know we talked about it in our discussion prior to recording that um, you are a hunter as well. Um, so tell us give us one of your favorite hunting memories and tell us a little bit about it. Oh. I know there's probably probably a lot for for somebody like you that uh that travels around and has gone to so many different places.
1: Well, uh man oh man. I I'm going to tell you about a time that I did not uh it, it probably wasn't the happiest memory in my life and I didn't kill a deer, but it was pure adventure. And that was a trip that I did when I was in my mid-20s. I was probably 25 years old. And I went on a horseback packing trip into the middle of the Duck Mountains in Canada on the Manitoba-Saskatchewan border. And uh, that, it was the week of Thanksgiving. And we packed in by horseback into this, I don't know how many acres, million acres or something like that. It's this huge, huge provincial park up there. And uh, we went in and uh, basically lived out of, we went in miles. It it basically took me all day to fly up there. And then it was like, you know, a half a day to drive to where the horses were. And then we went by horseback for multiple hours more, got there, you know, way into the dark. And then it was this horseback or uh, outfitter type uh, canvas tents, those white canvas tents that a lot of people use for elk hunting and stuff like that. And uh that's basically where we lived for a week. And uh they had a uh like a bathroom tent uh with a shower in it, but the problem is it was -40 degrees while I was there.
2: Oh my. Uh, I think
1: the warmest it was was -25 degrees, so nobody uh, offered to go take a shower that whole week so at least. <laughs> but uh anyway, every day they would have one guide that would drop off two hunters and uh basically you would ride by horseback from the camp to your tree stand and then climb climb 25 feet up into these big black spruce trees and uh, sit there. And the wind would be blowing, and you'd be blowing left about two feet and right about two feet, just swaying back and forth. And you would sit there all day. And uh, about lunchtime on the first day, I remember uh, they sent you, like, a little uh, sack lunch with uh, a thermos. And I don't do coffee, so they had uh, hot chocolate for me. And uh, I'd pretty much down the hot chocolate by noon. Yeah, trying to stay warm and I pulled out the sandwich and they had a sandwich in there and uh, a Snickers bar. And I remembered, okay, I'm going to eat the Snickers bar and I tried to bite the Snickers bar and it was frozen rock solid. And I broke it off like half of it off, tried to eat that. Well, then I thought, well, I'll eat my sandwich. It was a, a ham sandwich. Well, I bit into the sandwich and it was like eating ice because uh, <laughs> it was totally frozen. So I pretty much didn't, I ate the Snickers bar, but I didn't finish the, the ham sandwich. And so that night we went back to the camp and, and, uh, I asked the guides, uh, so how do you eat this food? You know, that's totally frozen rock solid. And they said, Oh, you've never had armpit sandwich. And I said, no, what's armpit sandwich. And they said, well, you just take the sandwich out of your bag and with it still in the little Ziploc, you stick it in your armpit, in your coat. And in about an hour, it's going to be thawed out. You can eat it. <laughs> I was like, ah, okay. So for the rest of the week, I ate armpit sandwich. For the rest of the week, I did not see any bucks. Or actually I saw one little forkhorn buck in that whole time. Did not see uh, any mature deer at all. Um, so basically, I went, you know, without, you know, a tag soup that week. But the problem was, is it was the outfitter's first time of hunting up there in the Duck Mountains. And they typically, uh, at the other place, at at their main camp that they hunted out of their lodge, they hunted around Riding Mountain National Park, which is is south uh, probably a couple hours uh, from where the Duck Mountains are. And uh, they hunted over, you know, food sources, fields, ag fields, corn fields, soybean fields, canola fields, stuff like that. And uh, they were used to hunting over openings. And up there, they basically set you up in these uh, tree stands on the edge of ponds, like little natural lakes and probably when they set the tree stands up in the summer uh there's probably deer around there the deer are feeding on the green vegetation on the edge and drinking and all that kind of stuff but when i was there in the middle of november and everything and that uh, pond was frozen over uh when we'd be riding in on horseback or at night riding out, you could see the tracks all over the top of the ridges on the, with the popple trees and um that you know in the snow well when we'd go out there and you'd be sitting up there, you'd be looking at that pond all day long in negative 40 degree weather. And you'd see maybe one little track going across that frozen pond in the snow. So I knew there was nothing there. I kept telling them, I want to go up on the ridges and hunt the ridges up there. because The bucks are obviously chasing does up there because November, you know, that uh, Christmas or uh, uh, Thanksgiving timeframe, that is the rut there in Canada. And, uh, I, I kept telling them, I want to, you know, can we move, you know, no, you got to stay in your tree stand. You can't leave and all this kind of stuff. They're afraid I was going to get lost or whatever. But, um, anyway, the only buck that I did see, uh, was a little four corn buck that I rattled in. And, uh, you know, that was the only thing that I saw the whole time I was there, but anyway, so I didn't kill a deer, but I did learn about, um, uh, uh, armpit sandwich and, uh, had an experience and adventure like I've never had. I heard wolves howling up there. Uh, There was elk up there. There was, I had a a, a rough grouse land on the limb right next to me, like five feet from me. Uh, And I got to watch that. So it was a fun memorable adventure, but I just wish the outfitter knew how to hunt whitetails a little better. Uh, I found out later on that they were primarily caribou hunters and especially the guy that was running the camp I was in. And uh, there's not a lot of relation between caribou hunting and whitetail hunting. And I just wish they would have known a little more about hunting whitetails, and I think we would have been more successful. But um, anyway, nobody in camp shot a deer that entire entire week, and I think there was eight hunters in camp.
2: Wow. Well, that's and so anyway.
1: So that's a long uh, uh, unsuccessful story, but uh, that was the first thing that came to mind.
2: That's a, that's an adventure for sure. No doubt about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that was back in my writing days when I used to write uh, magazine articles for the magazines. And I'd gone up there primarily to you know, to write an article about this place and hopefully give them some advertising and tell, them, tell people how great this place was. But uh, there was no success and there was nothing good to say, so I didn't say anything negative. It's just it never ran. So basically I didn't get paid uh, because I didn't sell an article. So I basically sat, uh, negative 40 degrees for a week for nothing, but I do have the story to tell you. So that, that's the one positive.
0: Yeah. There you go. (laughs) All
2: right. Next question is, uh, is there a bucket list hunt that you have that you have not gotten to complete yet?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I've always wanted to hunt and photograph Africa. Uh, it would probably be, you know, to hunt Africa, but here in North America, it would probably be, uh, you know, going after a Boone and Crockett sized whitetail. Uh, I've never, I've never, uh, had a Boone and Crockett sized whitetail in front of me while I was hunting. So that would probably be, you know, that's my favorite species to hunt as white deer. Uh, but here's my dream. My dream is to properly and professionally photograph a big whitetail. And I'm not putting any inches or anything like that on the deer, but to professionally photograph a deer and decide this is the deer that I'm going after, you know, from trail camera photos. And so from trail camera photos, deciding that's the deer I'm going to go after and professionally photographing the deer first and then going back and killing the deer. That's my dream, to photograph and kill the same deer. I have been on lots of hunts where we've killed the deer, but I didn't professionally photograph it. Or, uh, where I photographed the deer and somebody else killed the deer, but never have I had the opportunity to professionally photograph the deer and kill the deer, then have a big enlargement right next to the Mount in my house. That's my dream. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but that's my dream.
2: That's uh that'd be an awesome thing to, to have for sure. Well, well worth it. I, I would hope.
1: Yes. Yes. And you know what, what's more important to me than rack score is maturity of the deer the thing that excites me now more than anything at this stage of my career and you know i I, i've had you know opportunities to be close to deer with racks of all sizes but the thing that gets me pumped the most is when i finally pattern or figure out or have the opportunity the couple seconds of opportunity because a buck runs in front of me because of a doe is maturity on a deer the older the deer is the more it excites me compared to it just being a big rack deer it's you know in the prime of his life i know that that deer is the smartest deer in the woods and to be able to hunt that deer or to photograph that deer that's mature over the hill old antlers nothing like what they were a few years earlier that's the thing that that you know winds my crank that's the thing that that just excites me more than anything
2: that's awesome very cool Well, third and final question and then we'll then we'll wrap it up if you had to give one piece of advice for someone who is interested in or just starting out in wildlife photography what would it be
1: hmm it would probably be to do what i said earlier to spend time in the field no matter what the quality of equipment you have that having the time in the field where you're out there for things to happen. You can have the best camera equipment in the world, but if it's sitting in your house, sitting in your closet, not out in the field, you're never going to get any good photos, but you can have the most basic of cameras with just a little zoom lens, uh, you know, your iPhone, even you're going to, if you're out in the field, you're going to have opportunities to get stunning photographs of all kinds of stuff. It doesn't necessarily have to be a big deer. It could be, you know, a hummingbird. It could be a a butterfly. It could be, you know, an armadillo. It could be all kinds of stuff. Um, So if you're not out in the field, you're not going to get great photographs. But having, you know, great camera equipment, but not being in the field, that doesn't work out. Now, when you got great camera equipment and you got lots of time in the field, that's why I'm able to get the photos I've got. But I would recommend to people not to wait till you've got great camera equipment before you try to start spending time in the field. Even if it's with binoculars, even if it's with your eyeballs, putting those images in your mind, those adventures, those those things you'll never forget till the day you die, putting those things on the film of your mind, on that camera sensor of your mind is far more important than getting them in the sensor on your camera. So don't wait for great camera equipment, just get out in the field. That's my my thing. Time in the field that I I say in my uh, in my uh, uh, comments on my photos or the captions on my photos is just spend time in the field you know everybody wants to know how do you get these photos you know that they want to have some kind of secret you know uh, magic bullet or something just spend time out there and you're later on when you do have the right equipment you're gonna be able to capitalize on those situations because of the things you learned when you were out there with no camera When you're out there with just binoculars when you're out there with just your eyeballs or you're out there with just a a cheapo camera i didn't you know i wasn't able to get the photos i can get now early on in my career because i didn't have the time in the field and the experience that would tell me later on nowadays Man, i remember back 20 years ago when under these conditions i did this and then i'm able to capitalize on it nowadays so time in the field to me is the thing i wish i had done more earlier on uh, and what I would recommend people to do is don't worry about camera equipment. Worry about trying to get in the field as much as you can.
2: That is that is excellent advice, my friend. Very very awesome. Well, we're uh, we're out of time, Lance. I really, like I said a uh, few, few moments ago, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast with us, taking some time out of your day to record, share your share your story, share some awesome information. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it.
2: All right. Before we wrap it up, tell everybody where they can find you on on Instagram.
1: All right. Instagram, you can find me. You can just do a search under Lance Kruger, L-A-N-C-E-K-R-U-E-G-E-R. And my handle on there is at Lance underscore Kruger. It's at L-A-N-C-E, the underscore, and then K-R-U-E-G-E-R. And then Facebook, I'm at uh, Lance Kruger Photography. And uh, I do have a, a regular uh, personal Facebook page. You'll find me under Lance Kruger there, and you can try to follow me there. But that's more of where I put uh, family photos and that kind of stuff. I don't share uh, really any of my you know wildlife photos there. At Lance Kruger Photography on Instagram, that's where I share. Basically, uh, when I do an Instagram post, it goes immediately to my Facebook page, and uh, I post stuff on there Pretty much every day. Every day that I do on Instagram, it immediately goes to Facebook.
2: And guys, Lance just hit the 30,000 follower mark on his Instagram page, and he is trying to, he's shooting for that 50,000 mark by the end of the year. So you guys be sure that you go to his Instagram page and give him a follow for sure.
1: I'd appreciate that. Thank you very much.
2: All right. Well, guys, we appreciate you listening to another Fall Obsession podcast episode. We hope that this was enjoyable and very informative for you. It certainly was for me. If you guys haven't already, um, in addition to going and following Lance, go follow Fall Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, um, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and hit that follow and subscribe button on this podcast app. Wherever you get your podcast. that's where you will find Fall Obsession podcast. Um, fallobsession.com, that is our website, and that is the hub. That's where all of our content um, funnels through, so you guys can go check out everything that we got on there. And on that website, under our podcast page, there is a form that you guys can fill out if uh, you're interested in learning about something specific. If you want us to cover a specific topic or you have any questions, um, fill out that form, and we'll do our best to cover it in a future podcast episode. Lance, thank you again, sir. I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was a blast.
2: Absolutely. Same for me, my friend. All right, guys, we will see you all again next week for another Fall Obsession podcast episode. We'll catch you later.